Amen. Amen. So uh, right after we shot that video, uh, uh, Chantel got up and she said, you know, I, I still really like women. And I said, me too. So, um, <laughs> but the reason we wanted to show it today is because Chantel understands the gospel and what lordship is. And when she put her faith in Jesus, her identity is in Jesus, just like my identity is in Jesus. And my, ident- my identity is not in who I'm attracted to or not attracted to, and neither is hers. And so what I wanted to do is bring her up on stage right now, but I can't because she's in Africa at a co of refuge as a full-time missionary now. So what an incredible girl. <laughs> and also, just know this, man. Church of 1122 is a movement for all people, and you are not a project. You are not a project. You are a person that Jesus Christ died for. He did not die for categories either. He died for you. And so today we're going to talk about the seventh commandment. Um, get ready. You look nervous. You should be. It's going to get weird for you. Not me. I'm used to it. I've been doing this all weekend. So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's right. We're going to do three chapters. So you might attend the one thirty service today. That'll be awesome. But I'll go fast as I can. Um, I'm going to start out in Matthew 5, but don't, don't go there unless you're Southern Baptist and you're good at the sword drills. But most of you go to the middle of the Bible, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. I'll catch up with you in a second. Here's what Jesus said about, the great, about, about um, this commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He says in Matthew 5, 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the guys were like, Well, dang it. Okay? So he raised the bar to an impossible, an impossible situation that condemns us all. So let's just get this clear that all of us are adulterers. Okay? And so what Jesus does, he goes, this isn't just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing, it's at the heart level. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to hit this, this idea of adultery and lust head on because the enemy is hitting us head on. And if you think I say some stuff that's kind of edgy, let me tell you this, it ain't as edgy as what Jesus says right here. So here's what Jesus says for you to do about it if you've got a lust problem. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? Don't you think the people in the crowd were like, oh, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. What happened to like kind Jesus that was playing with kids and petting sheep and Singing kumbaya. We like that Jesus. Jesus is like, that Jesus is gone. When we're talking about sin, sexual immorality, lust, those kind of things, then, then Jesus speaks in the extreme because this is extremely important. And so what he says, if you were to go up to Jesus at the end of the service and say, Jesus, can you pray for me? I've got a lust problem. He goes, nah, prayer doesn't work for that. He'd get his pocket knife out. But what are you doing? I'm about to gouge out your eyeballs. Whoa, 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 no, I wanted prayer. No, 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 we don't do prayer on this one. We gouge out your eyes. Come here, give me your hands. Let me chop off your hands. Well, Jesus, that's a little extreme. This is extremely important. Because the point behind the point of Jesus is this, is that it's a path, not an event. Do you see where the ultimate destination of this is? Hell, that's the ultimate destination. And so what Jesus is saying is, you've got to understand that this is not just an image. See, you thought it was a picture. It's not a picture, it's a pathway. And the word that Jesus uses is porneo, porneo. Obviously, the the root word where we get the word pornography from, and it means anything that is outside of God's design for sex and sexuality. And sex is for married people. And marriage, as defined by God, is one man, one woman, one lifetime. And anything outside of that falls in this junk drawer of what the Bible calls sexual immorality, 
Or the word Jesus used is porneo. And the reason I'm not going to go through a list of what's in and what's out is because one of you freaks will be like, oh, he didn't mention what's on my list. They'd be like, am I good? No, you're not good. No. Did it lead somewhere? So <clears throat> go to, go to uh, Proverbs chapter 5. And what, what Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 is going to do is it's going to talk about the pathway, the pathway of lust and pornography and adultery and all of these things. Anything that falls in that sexual immorality category, it's talking about that pathway. So chapter 5, verse 1. starts out this way. My son. So it's like a dad trying to teach his son here, okay? My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. In other words, son, you got to pay attention because this is always going to start out sweet. It usually just starts with talking, and it's always sweet. And here's the thing about temptation. Temptation is tempting. You should write that down, because it's just true. Because you're thinking, this is awesome. No, it's not awesome. It's temptation. And it always looks awesome at the beginning. Verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. You see, and we live in a culture that says, no, 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 it's just pictures. It's not a pathway. It's just, a, it's just a lunch date. It's not a pathway. It's just a few flirtatious words. It's not a pathway. It's just an imagination. It's not a pathway. You see, Jesus says it's a pathway. It goes somewhere. It is not just an event. It leads somewhere. And here's where it leads. See, it started out awesome. It started out with, with um, a woman whose lips drip with honey. That's sweet. And then where does it end? It ends in Sheol. That's the Hebrew word for hell. Utter destruction is what that means. Verse 6. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Verse 8, keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. You see, he's saying, the New Testament's going to say it this way. You do not flirt with sexual immorality. You flee sexual immorality. And most of the time, the reason we get in trouble is because we like to kind of hang out on the front porch of our house and say, but I'm not actually going to go in. See, Coach Bully used to tell me, if you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. And so what he's saying here is, listen, I'm going to help you stay away from the slippery places. Verse 9, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin. See, he says it starts this way. It starts with just flirting with some girl that's not your wife. And it ends in utter ruin. It is a pathway. It's a pathway. And so what the wise person will do is get on a different pathway that leads to a different destination. And what the fool will do is ask this question. Here's a foolish question to ask, okay? Well, where's the line? Where's the line? And you ask it in your entertainment choices. How far is too far? All you dating people that are trying to figure out like how much you can make out without being sin, you ask that. And all the married people who, who are, are kind of flirting with these ideas of people that aren't your spouse, you go, well, how far is too far? It's a stupid question. You know why? Because as soon as you say, where's the line? The next question is, how close to the line can I get without going over the line? And then, as soon as you ask that, the next question is always, how far over the line can I go and not, and not pay the price? 
I mean, how far over the line can I go and still manage the repercussion? And whenever you ask that, the next question is, how in the world did I get here? That's how it always goes. Last time you got a speeding ticket, that's what happened. You got out on the interstate, and you'd be like, ooh, all right, the speed limit says 70. So how close to 70 can I go? 68? Nobody goes 68, except the people in front of me in the left lane when I got somewhere to be. But that's a different sermon. <clears throat> so what do you do? You go, well, how far over the line can I go and, and still not get busted, right? Like 76, 77, something like that maybe? You're always asking your cop friends, what do y'all really pull, right? And then when the blue lights turn on, you're like, dang it, I didn't want to go this far. This is what the dad is trying to prevent his son from. Now, when a speed ticket, you just pay the ticket. Here, this one ends in utter ruin. You see, it's a path, and that path has a predictable destination. So that's his warning in chapter 5, and then go to 15, verse 15. He's talking to married people here, and listen to this. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let me tell you what this means. In the Bible, all, especially in the Old Testament, the male anatomy is referred to as a fountain or a spring for obvious anatomical reasons. And the woman is referred to as a well for obvious anatomical reasons. All right? Now, with that in mind, listen to what the Bible says. All right? Every time I teach on this, I always see people will be like, the Bible? Yes, yeah, in the Bible. Listen. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourselves alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Here's some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. You ready? A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Can I get an amen from the husbands? Amen. Praise God. I love this church. That's what you're thinking. Verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So again, the Bible says, let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know what this means? If you're married, the only legitimate source of romance is your spouse, period. Not pornography, not pictures, not flirting with somebody at work. Ladies, not romance novels, not Fifty Shades of Anything. The only legitimate source of romance is your spouse. Wives, let me talk to you first. Husbands, earmuffs, do not listen to this, okay? Wives, listen. It's like this, okay, according to this passage. You are the only clean drinking water in town. You are the only clean, legitimate source of drinking water in town. Every other well in town is diseased and poisoned, got typhoid in it, you understand? And your husband gets thirsty. He gets thirsty. So when he leans over, like, hey, baby, right now I can get a little sip of that water, and you're like, nah, I ain't really giving out the water right now. I'm going to just kind of keep all, the only clean water. It's going to, you know, it's on this shelf. And it's your birthday, your anniversary, or nothing. But, you know. <laughs> now, if he drinks from another well, that is not your fault. It is not your fault. What he does is not your responsibility. But I'm just telling you, he's thirsty, and you got the only clean drinking water in town. That's all I'll say about that. Guys, husbands, all right, back in. Husbands. <clears throat> If you quote these kind of verses to your wife, can I just tell you something? You suck. That's just true. You just, it's over, bro. It is over. You don't be quoting 1 Corinthians 7 about how a wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. The preacher gets to talk about it a couple times a year, and, and you, you shut your mouth, all right? Now, you might be thirsty, and she might be withholding the pitcher of water, but you're probably starving her to death. 
See, it says right here, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know what that means, husbands? That, that you've got to continually pursue your wife like you did when you first got her to marry you. Because here's the thing about most husbands, all right? You just get lazy. And she doesn't feel valued and she doesn't feel pursued. And that's why the lemonade stand ain't open. And so you have to pursue her. And here's the thing. I know you got it in you, man. I know you do. Because think back to when you met. You did whatever it took. You would call her out and call her up and you would plan dates. And you would go pick her up in your El Camino or whatever. And you'd pop out and knock on the door. And you had on a shirt with a button. No team logo. No barbecue stains. And you would open the door for her, and you'd say sweet things, and you'd, baby, you're so sensuous, and now you're like, sensuous up, you get me a beer, you say stupid stuff like that, and you do, what did you do to, to, to pursue her heart? Whatever it took. I mean, you'd go eat frozen yogurt. What grown man eats frozen yogurt? I can tell you, somebody trying to pursue his wife, and you watch the worst movies? How many stupid movies? You watch The Notebook, and the whole time you're like, this is stupid, nothing happens. But then at the end of it, you're like, babe, if you ever lose your mind, I'll come visit you, boo. I mean, you say whatever. <laughs> and then you're wondering why you're so thirsty now. Pursuer, man, pursuer, pursuer, pursuer. This Thursday was my 15-year anniversary, all right? 15, all right? Yeah, I know, I know. Gresham was 13 years old when I married her, and so... Uh, but listen, I'm not that awesome. I'm really not. But I'm just trying to be faithful to what the Bible says. And, and the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. And I found a good one. But it's gooder now. And the part of the reason is because I rejoice in the wife of my youth. So I got my whole staff to help me pull off this surprise party for her. And, and we rented out, um, what's it called, Casa Marina down at the beach. And we had this party for my wife. And, and so, hey, man. My fountain is blessed, and I'm rejoicing in the wife of my youth. Do you understand? It's just, it's just true. We'll keep going. Verse 22. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly. He is led astray. Do you see that this is a past? That lust, that pornography, that flirting, all these things, adultery. It's a path. And no animal thinks they're going to get caught. They think, oh, sweet, this is awesome. And then, boom, they're ensnared. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 20. Here comes the second warning. Warning number two from the dad. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your hearts always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Underline that part, way of life. The dad is saying here, look, I'm trying to teach you a way of life. Not just habits, okay? Not just to make a wise choice or two, but I'm trying to teach you a way of life. And this way leads to life. Verse 24. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Now, let's be honest, gentlemen. It's usually not the eyelashes that capture you, is it? I've never been with a guy, and he'd be like, man, you see the size of her eyelashes? I'm going to tell you what. Woo, you think they're real? I don't know. They probably press on, but <laughs> never. <clears throat> what he's talking about here is there's a lot of winking and flirting going on. And it's very similar to what Chantel said in that video, okay? 
What, it's the reason I tell you I don't want you to be lorded over by your hormones or I tell you I don't care about your feelings. It's not that I don't care that you have feelings. But the fe- your feelings are who you're attracted to. They're not the Lord of your life. They don't get to identify you. Jesus gets to identify you if he is Lord of your life. And so he goes on, verse 26, For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. This means two things. One, this means if you commit adultery, husbands, your wife will kill you. That's what it means. Can I get an amen? Very high pitched. Amen. But a little neck roll in there, okay? But the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. In other words, it doesn't seem like it costs much. I mean, it's just a picture, it's just a little lunch date, it's just a little flirting, it's just, it's just a Facebook friend that you hadn't talked to since your junior year of high school. It doesn't cost you much, and what you don't understand is the real cost. I mean, the real cost is it will destroy everything. It will destroy everything. Then he goes on in 27 to say, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the obvious answer is no, a man can't carry fire to his chest and his clothes not be burned. And no, a man can't walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched. But you know what every man thinks that's in this situation? I got this. I got this. That I will be the first man in human history to hold fire close to my chest, and I've got it. I, I mean, I've got a wife at home, and I'm going to be able to, to be able to look at porn and also love my wife. I'm going to be able to have this little thing on the side, but it's not going to affect my marriage. I got this. And I'm here to tell you, you don't got this. You don't got this. That if you had my perspective, you would be able to see all the crispy little bodies all around you, and you think you're the first man in human history. I mean, because you're Superman. I got this. I can manage. I can manage the repercussions. Bro, you ain't got this. And wives, let me tell you something. Let me, let me give you a little insight in the way we think. You're not going to be able to understand it, okay? You're going to think, well, that's stupid. I know it is. We are stupid. But this is just the way we think. <clears throat> Have you ever heard it like men think like waffles, women think like spaghetti? Have you ever heard this? It's not in the Bible. I don't know who made it up, but it's true. Women, the way, most of the time, the way you think is it's like spaghetti. It's all, where does it end and where does it begin? It's all wrapped up there together. It's why you go on vacation. You can't even enjoy it because the kids are at home. And your husband, second day, and he's like, we have kids? I guess just that part's gone. He's focused on the vacation now, all right? But when we lay down in the bed at night, Gretchen's like, I think there's a, a, there's a dish in the sink. I can't sleep. And I can be like, I think I smell fire. I'm going to bed, okay? I can just <laughs> compartmentalize things. It's just true. It's why in the middle of a fight, you could be arguing with your spouse. And if Gretchen was just, I mean, if I was just mad and right in the middle of it, she's like, time out. You want to make out? Yes, I do. <laughs> I thought you were mad. I was. Now I'm not as mad. I'll be mad again when we get back to the mad part, okay? It's just how we work. It's kind of like, Kind of like on your, on your computer, the way men think, is you could be looking at a bunch of different websites, but the way a man thinks is think they, they minimize them all and they just look at the one they're looking at. And kind of the way women work is that they're all up there at all times and they all affect one another. It's why a man thinks sometimes, ladies, that he can walk on hot coals and his feet won't get burned. It's because he thinks in his mind, I can love you and I can look at porn. I got this. I can handle the repercussions. Men, I'm trying to tell you. You can't. You ain't got this, bro. I mean, you can pound your chest and think, I'm, I'm going to handle it. You can't handle it. You can't handle it. But you're playing with fire, and you're going to get burned. And the saddest part is it just it doesn't burn you alone. It'll burn your whole house down, your whole family down. It burns everything down. It's not just about you. Verse 29 
So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And this doesn't mean that God is going to punish you because you're doing a fine job on your own. You have hit the self-destruct button. And you're not only self-destructing, but your family is going to be the collateral damage. Verse 30. People don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. That this road that you get on has a predictable outcome. Whether it's lust, pornography, flirt with somebody that's not your spouse, adultery. Jesus says it's all porneo, it's all sexual immorality and it has a predictable outcome and it is destruction. It destroys everything. It destroys your relationship with Jesus. It destroys your relationship with Jesus. Because you might think that, that, that you can just sing to Jesus and that he's going to forgive you anyway. Look, that's cheap grace. And if you think that grace works that way, you may not have experienced the grace of Jesus. As we've counseled lots and lots of men that struggle with pornography, one of the things that we hear is, I hear guys say, well, you know what, I just need the stress relief. Let me just explain to you something real quick. Jesus said, all you who are... are Weary and heavy burden are all you who are stressed out. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest for your soul. So if you're not finding rest for your soul in Jesus, but you are on a website, newsflash, you might not know Jesus. You might have prayed a prayer and raised your hand and come to church and all that stuff, but you might not know Jesus. Unrepentant, blatant sin just crushes your relationship with Jesus. Not only are you destroying that, but you're destroying your marriage you're looking at pornography, you are destroying your marriage. And here's why. Because you, you got to lie to her. You got to tell your wife, no, I don't look at that stuff. And you, you're simultaneously lying to her and coming over in some dark part of your house and figuring out a way where you can bring it up on your smartphone or laptop or whatever. And you cannot simultaneously lie to your wife and cultivate a culture of intimacy. I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about intimacy. Where there's transparency and vulnerability. You can't do it. You can't lie to her and grow closer to it. It's impossible. Or the other side of it is this. Or you've talked her into it. It's okay. And she's, she's thinking, well, if I you know, can't beat him, join him. And so, okay, at least he's not actually touching another woman. And you know what you're doing? If you're, if you're looking at porn and your wife knows about it, listen, you are crushing her soul. I mean, you're just crushing her. And you, she might say it's okay with her mouth. It is not okay. Husbands, you don't listen to the voice of your wife. You listen to her heart. That's what got Adam in trouble. And what her heart would tell you is that you are crushing her because every day she feels like she has to wake up and compete with the impossible. Because that girl online will do whatever you want, whenever you want, with the click of a button. And that girl never ages. And your wife cannot keep up. And what your job is, husband, Peter says it this way, husbands, live with your wives as a weaker vessel. It doesn't mean weaker like less than strong. Although, if your wife is stronger than you, you better get in the gym, hoss, all right? Take some creatine monohydrate or something. See a trainer, but that's different. It means like more delicate. That's what it means, like porcelain. And so as a husband, you're supposed to cultivate the kind of environment where your wife can be everything that God has called and created her to be. And if you're looking at pornography, you are crushing her at the soul level, I promise you. And, not, and, then, and then, not only that, some guys will tell me, yeah, but I'm single. Well, let me tell you, you are destroying your future marriage. 
You're destroying it, absolutely destroying it. Because here's what you think, okay? Here's what you think. You think, um, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I, one day when I get married, I'm going to change. But right now, I'm going to look at pornography. And what you're training yourself, single guy, here's what you're training yourself for. I mean, at the neurological level, you're training yourself that a real body's not enough, that one body's not enough, and that your wife's body's not enough. And you think one day you're going to be able to take all this sexual energy and show up on a Saturday and say, I do, and then aim it at her on the day you get married. And what you're going to do is you're going to walk into your honeymoon and you're going to realize, you're going to realize that you have been ensnared and that a real body's not enough and one body's not enough and your wife's body is not enough. And you are destroying the future intimacy in your marriage. And not only that, this is something that most of you don't think about, most of us don't think about is you're also destroying that poor little girl that you're looking at. You were just, did you know there are more slaves today than there were in the transatlantic slave trade? You know that? And the majority of them are in the sex trafficking industry. And whenever you log on, you, th- you say things like, well, I'm not hurting anybody. You're hurting that girl that Jesus Christ died on the cross for because I can promise you when she was 10 years old, this was not her dream. And essentially, it's like when you log on, you might as well go to her dad and say, Hey, Dad, thank you so much for neglecting your daughter in the time when she needed you most. Thanks for not being there. And hey, uncle that abused her and raped her when she was 12 years old, thank you for doing that. And drug dealer that keeps her high so she'll make these movies. Guys, thank you all for doing your part to allow me to do what I want to do to her. Thank you so much. And you are a willful participant in human trafficking. One of the most atrocious things to ever happen in human history. So, it's destruction. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. And I wish it was just yourself. But it's collateral damage. Did you know that pornography industry this year will make more money than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined? The pornography industry this year, just in America, will make more money than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Go to chapter 7. Verse 1, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Now, let me give you something. Those of you that kind of do Bible study on your own or you're in disciple group. um, When the Bible mentions something three times, you need to pay attention. When he mentions something three times in a row, you've really got to pay attention. Now, the whole thing is God's inerrant, infallible word. He only needs to tell us once, but sometimes God decides to tell us over and over and over the exact same thing. And so you see it all throughout Scripture. Like, when Jesus is tempted by the enemy, you know what he says? Three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. It's a big deal. Or in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus is trying to explain to us what God is like, he does three parables back to back to back, and they all have one point. It's, it's about who God is. One parable would have been enough, but he does three parables. He does the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. Or when Jesus is reinstating Peter to be the rock on which the church is going to be built, he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Pay attention, Peter, I'm talking to you three times in a row. In Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, tell us what the end of the world is going to be like, he does three parables back to back to back. He does the, the parable of the virgins, he does the parable of the talents, and he does the parable of the sheep and the goats. So in other words, pay attention, this is extra, extra, extra important. And so in Proverbs 5, you get this warning from the dad. In Proverbs 6, you get a warning from a dad. And now for the third time in a row, in this third chapter, he's saying, you better be paying attention to this. 
and he, and he said, pay attention, listen, listen, listen. And now what he's going to do is he's going to kind of do an analogy. He just told him straightforward to, to flee from this adulterous woman, and that includes lust, pornography, all those things. And now he's going to kind of share a parable, kind of a story. It says, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, for at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. In other words, he's like, all right, I'm, like the, I'm sitting on my front porch, and from my perspective as an old guy, I get to see kid after kid, young man after young man, walk down this road, and I'm trying to tell you where this road leads. And listen, he's saying, he said, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Do you know why the man lacks sense? Because he's young. Right. If you're a young man, listen, you lack sense. And you're like, whatever, I'm 22. Right. That's the point. It's not your fault. You might have sense for a 22-year-old, but you lack sense because you just lack life experience. And an 80-year-old would say the same thing about me at 41. And so instead of bowing up and talking about how much you know, you need to shut up and listen to some people that have some experience. By the way, it's why we don't do like 20-year-old disciple groups. All the time, I know you 20-somethings want to meet each other. Well, just meet each other. At the end of the service, walk up to them and say, hey, and say your name. That's how that works, all right? Or text them or tweet them or whatever, all right? But the reason we don't do disciple groups with a bunch of 20-year-olds is I don't want that much ignorance concentrated in one living room, okay? I just don't. A bunch of 21-year-olds tell them, this is how you ought to live. No, you should shut up and get an old guy in there. Now listen, the Bible says older men should teach younger men and older women teach younger women, right? So some of you older people, and if you're you're asking yourself, well, am I older? You've been older for a while, all right? So just (laughs) lean in. Part of the reason we need you in disciple group, you might never learn a thing from it, but you might just be there to pour into the young man that lacks sense. Verse 8, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. You need to underline that verse. This is the most important verse in the whole section. It looks like a throwaway verse, and it's not. It's the most important verse. It says, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. You see, he's walking down the road and everything's going fine. And he gets to this place. He gets to this pivotal decision in his life. The corner, her corner. And he can keep going straight on the way of life that his dad wants him to go on. But he stops and he looks down this road. And and that road has a destination. And it is a predictable outcome. And the dad is saying, do not turn and do not go down that road. That's stupid. And the kids look at him and say, man, I don't see stupid. I just see a hot girl. All right? And I'm not going far. I tell you what, I'm going to turn the corner. I'm just going to take a few steps down this road. And if it gets weird, if I get in trouble, then I'll just turn around and I'll come back to the corner and keep going. And the dad's like, nah, man, I don't think you understand. That road leads somewhere. And so what I try to do a couple times a year is, as your pastor, try to stand before you and say, hey, listen, you're at the corner. Don't go down that road. It's a pathway. They're not pictures. It's a pathway. It's not an affair. It's a pathway that leads to death. And while you're way up here on this corner, and I know that road is enticing, you just keep going, okay? Just get back on this path, the path of the Word of God, and go this way. I promise there's life at the end of this path, and there's death at the end of that path. And sure enough, every time, every time I have the perspective, especially in a young man's life, there's some person that always bows up, but like, hey, wait a minute now. I've looked all through the Bible, and there's not one verse that, you know, thou shalt not walk it down the road if, all right? And so I'm not sinning. Look, this isn't about sin. This is about stupidity at this point. That that path leads somewhere. Leads somewhere. And the more steps you take down it, 
then the harder and harder and harder it gets to turn around. Verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. In other words, wrong place, wrong time. This is not an accident. My daddy used to say this, nothing good happens after midnight. The only people up after midnight are pimps and vampires, and you don't want to hang out with either one. That's what he said. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. All right. Women, I'm going to talk to you for a second, and I just need to tell you this. I don't want anybody to applaud or say amen or anything. You just sit and receive this. I promise you it's from a place of love in my heart, but I'm just going to say it and then unpack it a little bit. And again, no response. Women of 1122, let me just tell you this. I'm talking primarily, if you call yourself a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord, all right? And if this offends you, just please hold up the mirror and see if I'm offending you or if you need to be offended. Ready? Don't dress like a prostitute. When a prostitute gets dressed, they decide what they are going to accentuate. And what they do is they use their clothes to accentuate what they want to sell. And if you're a Christian, you're the daughter of a king, you do not need to accentuate what you look like. You need to accentuate who you are. And so you need to wear clothes that bring, that bring men, men's attention up here to your eyes and to your face and not just to your body. And I know the pushback. The pushback is, who are you to tell me what to wear? Look, I cannot give anybody fashion advice. I just wear a different colored plaid shirt every single week, okay? I get it. I get it. And, and you look great. I'm not saying you don't look great. Women of 1122, you look great. Probably the best-looking church in the history of church, all right? And the pushback, I, I hear this too. Yeah, but you know what? That's just the style these days. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. My grandma doesn't dress like you. I'll tell you where she gets her clothes. You can dress like her, okay? I promise she's all covered up. But the Bible says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you draw attention to what you look like, I'm telling you, you're too valuable for that. Some of you treat, some of you treat your jewelry at home as more valuable than you, and you are too valuable to dress that way. You just are. And I've also heard people, uh, girls tell me this all the time. Well, I dated this guy, and he was a jerk. And I dated this guy, and he was a jerk. And I dated this guy, and he was a jerk. And I go, well, you know what the problem is? In bass fishing, we call that jerk bait. You're using jerk bait. And when you troll with your body, you catch body snatchers. That's what you get. And as long as you continue, if you catch him with this, then you're going to have to try to keep him with this. And you know what the problem is? Here's the problem. Is that you've got two things working against you. Time and gravity are not on your side. All right? And I know you can run down to Ponte Vedra and try to work on it, but it, that gets weird after a while. So here's what you need to hear, is that you are too valuable for that. You're too valuable for that. Okay? And if you're getting mad at me right now, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you can get mad at me. I love you too much to care what you feel about me. That you are too valuable. Now, listen, let me talk to all the women that want to clap right now. First, you need to check your own heart. You're probably more mature either in age or in your faith. Okay? You are. I'll give you that. And, and you may want to clap right now, and it could be rooted in an insecurity in you. And here's what I need from you, women of the church of 1122. I need you to be a coach and not a critic. I don't need you to criticize the, the girls here at 1122. I need you to get to know them and coach them so that they can hear from you, not me. They can hear from you that, that hey, listen, girl, you are beautiful, and you are valuable. You are not your own. You were bought at a price that God knit you together in your mother's womb, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are so valuable that you need to be treated as valuable, and this starts with you treating yourself as valuable. And, and so you're almost finished getting dressed. Let's just keep going a couple more layers, and then you'll be there, okay? <clears throat> and then let me just say this to you, two girls. Um, 
And, and when you get dressed, especially when you come to church here, it's not about dress code, okay? We're a movement for all people. But could you help a brother out? I mean, if you could come to church and see every dude in here as your brother and understand that one of the primary ways the enemy comes against us is with our eyes. And so if you could help us out, and if you were to say, yeah, well, that ain't my problem, you're right. It is not your problem at all. It is not, it's our problem. It's not your fault. It's not your problem. It's our problem. And the Bible says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But to the sisters of the church of 1122, I'm asking. So, because either you're, either you're naive or insecure. And if you're naive, if you're saying, do they really notice? Yes. Okay? Or you're insecure and that your security needs to come in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me talk to the guys real quick. Okay, fellas? Um, <clears throat> I don't want to hear one thing from you about what the girls wear here at 1122. I'm the pastor. I get to talk about it when I want to. You get to shut your mouth. And so don't come to me and talk about it. The girls make me stumble here. Hey, look, a knot in a tree makes some of you fellas stumble, all right? You need to just abide in him and let him abide in you. And memorize some verses. Job 31.1 says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully after a woman. Notice I didn't have to look that one up. You know why? Because I have made a covenant with my eyes. Job, who was like the best guy on planet Earth at that time, he, made to, he had to make a covenant with his eyes that he would not look lustfully after a woman. And look, it's starting to warm up. It's springtime. And we live in Jacksonville Beach where people don't wear clothes. It's just true. It's just true. Is it not? You'll be at Publix in Jack's Beach in the frozen food section. Like, uh, ma'am, you're not wearing pants. And we're at Publix. So what do you do? You better quote the scriptures and just move on. You'll be out pumping gas and look up. And awesome, there's a naked lady just pumping gas right there. I've made a covenant with my eyes. That's just what you have to do. Because here's the thing, man. You don't know the heart behind that girl. I mean, you just don't. And girls, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He did. You were valuable, and you should be treated as valuable. And I want the church of 1122 to be a place where all the men and all the women try to outdo one another in honor. Amen? All right, verse 11. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. That means to, like, ambush you. Verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. In other words, she believes in God, and she's been to church and had all her sins forgiven. Some, uh, some people, I've heard people tell me that, hey, look, I'm going to do whatever I want because Jesus will forgive me anyway. If that's how you think grace works, I'm going to tell you, neither the law nor the grace is cheap. And if that's how you think grace works, you may not have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. Because if you truly experienced his grace, then you would know him as Lord and you would live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so kind of what she's saying is, hey, listen, man, I've got this thing figured out. We can do whatever we want. And then we go to 1122 on Sunday. And at the end of the service, we just go down to the altar and pray a prayer. And God has to forgive us because I found this loophole at the cross. And we can dump out all of our sins and we can be totally forgiven. That is not the way it works. That it's about surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he says, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, I found you. And you know what he thinks? This is all about me. This is all about me. And he's thinking, man, I always knew I was a stud. You know, I got ready tonight with my skinny jeans and extra Axe body spray, and now she finally recognizes it. And you know what the old guy watching thinks? No, you ain't a stud. You're an idiot. She doesn't even know your name, bro. She, she says this is the same guy last night and the same guy the night before that. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. This is unique. I love her. And we're like soulmates. He's like, no, 
you're dumb. It keeps going. I have spread my couch with coverings. I have spread my, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So if this is a movie, there's like a Barry White song playing right now, verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. What a misuse of the word love. This has nothing to do with love. Love is about giving. Love is about serving. Love is about making you a bigger deal than me. Lust is about taking. Lust is about me. Adultery, pornography, anything outside of God's design for sex and sexuality is about me, me, me. This isn't love at all. And in fact, I get this all the time too, all right? People come here and they say, hey, listen, you know, um, we're not married, but we're having sex because we're like married in our heart. No, you're not. I'm calling BS, bullshkibulon. You don't get married in your heart. You get married. You make a vow. That's what a marriage is. Marriage ain't about what you feel like inside. Because you know what I also hear over and over and over is when he or she leaves, they go, hey, but we weren't married. You see, it's a vow. Love is a decision of the will accompanied by action where you make less of yourself and you make more of them. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says, the first definition is love is patient. You cannot simultaneously be impatient with your boyfriend or girlfriend and be loving them. It can't be about what you can get and you love them. Verse 19, she says, For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. In other words, he's gone for a long time. The conditions are perfect. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk and she compels him. Verse 22, and all at once he follows her. Now, that's why I want to go time out, time out. The old man would agree with me here that's watching. He'd go, it actually didn't happen all at once. It didn't happen all at once. You see, you can chase every sexual catastrophe all the way back to when he was at that corner. And he could have kept going straight on the path. But he made this pivotal decision. It wasn't a sin back then. It just led to death and destruction. All the way back. How many people have you, you've heard of this before? You'd be like, just all of a sudden he moved out. All of a sudden, she ran off with somebody else. All of a sudden, that pastor ran off with the choir member. All of a sudden, he just stepped off the cliff. It wasn't all of a sudden. It was a pathway that had a predictable outcome. That he'd been walking a step but closer and closer and closer and closer to the edge of the cliff. And you know when we all get involved and pay attention? When all of a sudden, they take that last step over. What I'm trying to do right now is say, hey, listen, it ain't all of a sudden. It is a pathway, and it leads to destruction. And that's why I would try to just wave the flag in front of you and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pornography is a pathway. Lust is a pathway. Adultery is a pathway. Flirting is a pathway. And before it's too late, put pause on that thing, man, and repent. Repent is just a Bible word. It means to turn around. It's also a directional term. And change directions and go into a different direction. Verse 22. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. What a perfect analogy. Because on the way, this guy's like, man, I'm an ox. Going to, I'm not going to the slaughter. I'm, a, I'm an ox, but I ain't going to the slaughter. I'm an ox. I'm going to go be awesome. I'm a stud, and I'm going to be awesome. And the old guy's like, no, nah, you're like an ox going to the slaughter. Because the whole way to the slaughter, the ox still feels like an ox. It's like, I'm big as an ox. I'm strong as an ox. I don't know why all these other oxes are in line with me and what these cattle guards are for, but you know what? I'm awesome. And then, nope, you're lunch. That's what happens. Slaughter. It says, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. 
Now, if you're not a hunter, you're going to hate this illustration, but just hang in there with me. Okay, I bow hunt a lot. I love to deer hunt. It's like my favorite thing in the world, all right? And so when you shoot a deer or a stag with an arrow in the heart, it busts the ribs, and it makes a swack sound. It's awesome. And they do a big mule kick, and blood shoots out both sides, and they sprint as hard as they can for like a minute, and then they pile up dead, and you go get them. It's awesome. You should try But sometimes, sometimes if you don't get a good shot, like a couple years ago, I was in South Dakota, and this big old eight-point comes out, and I, and I can't get a heart shot, and so I shoot him a little bit back, and I shoot him in the liver. And the, the arrows that we use, they go so fast, and the broad tips are razor sharp that it just goes, and it goes right through him so quick that he doesn't even know that he's been hit. He just, he hears it hit the ground next to him. He's like, oh, what's that? And then immediately the deer is thinking, I need a Tums or something. I mean, I've got some bad corn or whatever. But they don't run. They don't kick. They just start walking off. And little does he know that he's a dead deer walking. It is over. Shot in the liver. It takes a little while to die. And in fact, he, he still doesn't know it. And he's walking along, you know, and stuff's falling out. And then he gets there. He goes, man, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll lay down here for a minute. I'll probably be fine. And he goes to sleep right there. And then he wakes up and he's on my wall in my living room. That's how that works. <laughs> you flirt with pornography. You flirt with lust. You flirt with adultery. I'm telling you, your liver shot. You don't even know it. It has a predictable outcome. It has a predictable outcome. And you're you're still thinking, I got this. No, bro, you don't got this. It's like you're carrying fire against your clothes, and they are going to get burned. All at once he follows her as the ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, so the arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, and he doesn't know that it will cost him his life. Verse 24, And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. That means hell or death. Going down to the chambers of death. So You know what he's saying over and over here? He's saying flee sexual immorality. It's a pathway that leads somewhere. So what do you do? Be careful? No. Wear a condom? Uh Uh-uh. Flee. Run. Do whatever it takes. Because when we're talking about sexual immorality, the reason Jesus is saying it goes to extremes, talking about gouging out your eyes and stuff, is because it's extremely important and it's extremely dangerous and it's a pathway that leads to death. And God did not create you for death and destruction. He created you for freedom and for life. And if you ask, if I could line up the literally dozens of 1122ers that I know that have been down the adultery, porn, lust path all the way to the death and destruction, if I would bring them up here right now, and say, what would you do different? Every single one of them would beg and plead for you to say, hey, listen, if you're way back here at that corner, I would give anything, I would give anything to go back to that corner where I began to make those first decisions that cost me my family and my reputation and years of pain and struggle. So what do you do? You do whatever it takes. You understand that they are not pictures. It's a pathway. And so you do whatever it takes. I don't know if you realize this, but for thousands of years, people have lived without the Internet, okay? And I can tell you, if it comes to throwing away your smartphone or gouging out your eyeballs, I'm getting rid of my cell phone. I would do whatever it takes. And if you're dating and you're not married, I would flee sexual immorality. I would flee. I would run away because you are destroying the future intimacy that you so long for in your marriage or some of you that are thinking, look, it's just a lunch. I mean, you know, I got this female coworker that I need to work with, and we got to eat. The Bible's for eating. I know it is. And so we're just going to eat together. 
let me just warn you, you're at a corner. Because what's going to happen is as you begin to hang out with her and you start talking to her a little bit, here's what you're going to think. You know, the Bible also says that he who lives with a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. And I get home and I just hear drip, 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 drip. And I eat with her. She really gets me. She don't get you, bro. She's about to liver shoot you. That's what's about to happen. And it's not her. It's the enemy is going to use that situation. Because then you think, well, what's the difference between lunch and dinner? It's just a time of day. Okay, that's not that big a deal. And what's the difference between working late? And the first time, ladies, the first time you realize when you're getting ready in the morning, you're getting ready for that guy at work instead of for your husband. I'm telling you, it's over, bro. It is over. You're going down that road. Or some of you, just rekindling an old friendship from Facebook, right? I know we hadn't talked since our junior prom, but I thought it would be a great idea for us to start chatting on Facebook. You're at a corner about to... About to make a turn. Or you're texting with some man and he's not your husband. And but what are you texting about? Oh, we just friends. We all used to be friends, right? I'm just telling you. Is it a sin? Any sin. It's just stupid. It's stupid. Let me tell you, as the pastor that has that's here when the broken flaming pieces come here for help. Every single decision started way back here at a corner before it was sin. A girl, especially some of you single girls, Friday night comes. And you're like, you know what? I mean, it's Friday night. I'm single. I'm going to do something. So you get your girlfriends together, and you think tonight we're just going out for some drinks and hanging out and dancing. It's not that big a deal. And I'm going to dress a little, you know, a little scandalous. I wouldn't wear this to church, but I'm going dancing. Who was going to know me? And then you walk into the club. Our whole church is there. And you're like, awesome. Our whole church goes to the club. And you dance and have a few drinks. And I'm telling you, that's all you intended to do. And then you wake up the next morning, and you've given yourself away to some dude you barely know, and you feel like trash. And you're not trash. You're a daughter of the king. You're valuable and you should be treated as valuable. So it's usually at this point, and listen, I, I have people push against me. I'm telling you, just hold up the mirror. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. I have rules about the rules about the rules in my life. I have decisions that make all the other decisions. And I am as strict as anybody you will ever meet when it comes to fleeing sexual immorality. And you call me crazy, you know what I call me? Happily married. That's it. And it's worth it. It's just worth it. Now, what about those of you that say, well, I've already screwed this up. I mean, I'm addicted to porn. And my husband's already left me because of adultery. Or I'm in an active affair right now, and if the world knew, they would freak out. What about me? Or all of us that have lusted in our heart, do you feel crushed? I hope so. That's kind of the point up to this point. That's the diagnosis that we're crushed, and then along comes the gospel. You see, the bright light of Jesus shines into the dark places. And so let me just tell you here at 1122, you don't have to fake this, okay? The fake you's doing just fine. The fake you has got you into the miserable place that you're in right now. Gross stuff grows in the dark, okay? Gross stuff grows in the dark. And so it's time to, to let the light of Jesus shine in on it. 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle Paul is talking to the church about the exact same things that I'm talking to our church about today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says this. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What? Well, am I unrighteous? Yes. Every single one of us, in and of ourselves, are unrighteous, wretched, black-hearted. And so he says, We don't get the kingdom of God. Uh-oh. He says, Don't be deceived. Now he's going to give a list of things that qualify us as unrighteous. The first one, neither the sexually immoral. Well, there we go. You don't have to read the rest of the list. Every single one of us probably are guilty of that one. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And at this point you think, so are you just saying there's no hope and I'm damned? That's exactly what I'm saying. 
in and of yourself. But look where it keeps going. Verse 11. This is for anybody that's put their faith in Jesus Christ. Ready? And such were some of you. Such were some... That's past tense. So you're not unrighteous anymore if you're in Christ. Now you are righteous. That God made him who was without sin to be sin for us that we would be made his righteousness. So he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That if you're in Christ, you all of those things that you had done or even are doing or have been done to you, they are all in the past tense and you're washed clean. And you may say, well, I don't feel clean. Well, take it up with Jesus because he's the one washing you. He's the one washing you from the inside out, not the outside in. It's just true. And that's why it says that Anyone who sins, who sins commits sin outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body, therefore flees sexual immorality. Then he picks it up in 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. That Jesus knew exactly the deal he was getting when he went to the cross, and he bought you. And that's how valuable you are. You, if I were to ask God, hey, how valuable is that girl? He said, well, it cost me everything. She cost me the life of my son, Jesus Christ. I was willing to pay everything for her. Therefore, therefore, we should act like that. And so you know what that means? If what Paul is saying here is true, if God inspired him to say this, and I, I believe it with everything I'm made of, then this world does not get to define you. And what you've done does not get to define you. And what you've looked at does not get to define you. And what has happened to you does not get to define you. Let me just shoot it straight, okay? You are not a slut. You are not a whore. You are no longer an adulterer. You are not addicted. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And the old has gone and passed away. And the new you is the you that God sees when he sees you. And he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's you. In the gospel. In the gospel. So what does that mean? That means flee sexual immorality. Why? So God will accept you? No, because he's already accepted you at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what you need is not to just try harder. What you need is Jesus, the power of Jesus living in you. Living in you. So that you can live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your heads? Close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity that God sees you right now in your condition right now and says, I want that one for my family. I'm willing to pay the price for you so that you can be cleansed, clean, washed, sanctified, justified. If that's you and you're ready, would you say, here I am. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You just pray right where you are. There's no magic prayer. You just pray. Admit that you're a sinner. Trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross was more than enough. And confess Jesus as your Lord and you'll be saved. And if you just prayed that prayer from your heart to God, would you raise your hand and say, here I am. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you are not disappointed in us. Because you knew what you were getting. God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave Jesus to purchase us. Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be a cleansing and a washing in this place today. God, that there would be no one that is condemned. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the man and the woman who, whose lives have been torn apart by adultery. 
by lust, by pornography, by any of those things. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to mend hearts. God, you would bring comfort where there is pain. Lord, I pray desperately for the men and women that are at that corner. They're making decisions right now. Holy Spirit, would you give them the the wisdom to know what's right, the courage to do what's right in you, that they would lean into you. We pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And would you please stand as we close? And I haven't done this at the other services, but we're doing it at this one. Usually when I call for prayer, I almost always ask for the husband to lead. Can I tell you what's been one of the most powerful things in my own world is the time when my wife says, can I pray for you? She'll often pray for me like before I preach or before I go speak at something. She'll just kind of, can I pray for you? And here's the thing about an altar call when you talk about sexual sin. People don't want to come down. So here's what I ask you to do. Wives, I want to invite you to bring your husband to the altar and I want you to pray for him. Not pray about him, but to pray for him. Because there is power, power, power in a praying wife. So Ben's going to lead us, and we're going to respond. Oh, you hope you'll come to the altar, and let's pray.